Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really amazing founder. You know, he's building a rocket ship. We're going to be talking about it quite a bit. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, all of that good stuff. We're going to be talking about transitioning from corporate, in his particular case, investment banking, to now building a startup from, from the ground up. Also, how to go about the first customers, tips on hiring as well, and, uh, and also developing people, most importantly as well as what has been the experience that he has gone through as a founder and an operator and leader of the company, you know, going through multiple financing cycles. So we got, without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Doug Scott. Welcome to the show. G'day. Pleasure to be here. So originally American mom, Irish father, born in Sweden, but grew up in Australia. My God, talking about worldview, how is life growing up? Uh, like a quasi United Nations in our household. Um, no, it was, it was great. I think one of the, the benefits of having such a diverse and international upbringing is you get a real global perspective very early. Uh, so yeah, my, my household, we had a lot of different perspectives and we grew up, I spent most of my formative years in Australia, but I had perspectives, um, from my parents that had very different upbringings. So that was really, I think a real benefit to me. And and ultimately, in the long run, in helping, you know, where we kind of are today as a company and my experiences in building ethic, of course. So now in your case, you know, eventually you um, ended up exploring the oil and gas industry. Uh, but tell us about how you ended up getting into investment banking. What was that? Uh, what was that journey like? Yeah, it was not what I initially had set out to do. So, yeah, I grew up. My parents are two social and environmental advocates. You know, I remember as a young person when we were in Australia, there was a, a terrible shooting in the early 1990s in Australia, and then we went along to the anti-gun rallies. And it was something that my parents were very passionate about um, in helping. You know, my mom has been a longtime supporter of helping uh, resettlement for, for refugees, and we've done a bunch of work. We grew up in a, in a kind of a leafy suburb in, in Melbourne, in Australia. And so my career, I, I didn't sort of set in there, hey, I want to go work in investment banking and ultimately in, in natural resources, oil and gas. But it's it sort of, I like to think of it as like pulling the thread of curiosity. So I just started being really curious about a lot of things. That's a, that's a trade I took from my dad. My dad um, grew up in Belfast during the conflict in Northern Ireland and, and had a really, um, a very different upbringing. Um, and I think that experience though, for me, where we're kind of learning through some of the stories that he was able to tell. And ultimately where I wanted to get to in my life was in a position where I could solve real problems. And I was just a very, as I said, a very curious kind of person. And so oil and gas investment banking, as I said, was not where I intended to be. Where I intended to be was just solving interesting problems for great people. And so when I was going through university, I ended up um, you know, working with an investment bank while I was still at university and, and doing all of that. And yeah, I ended up in working... In Australia, natural resources is the big driver. You know, it is the big part of the economy that makes a lot of things tick. And I think the experience of me working with terrific people and solving really interesting problems, but ultimately being in a place where I didn't feel like I was facing the right direction 
I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you feel like you're solving really curious, fun, great, interesting things with with lovely people. But, you know, we were helping raise capital to, I don't know, frack agriculturally sensitive areas or um, deep sea drill in, in, in parts of Australia's northwest coast or whatever it might be, which, look, are all really commercially important things in the context of serving that industry, but was not where I wanted to dedicate my career. And so that path you know, led me ultimately to ethic, but, you know, it was very much a a roundabout way where I just, I remember very clearly, like one day just thinking, what is it, what is the, what is the legacy or what are the things that I want to try and help build that in my sort of small area was able to move the needle a little bit further or make something actually impactful um, on a bigger scale. And so that was, yeah, there was a bit of a, you know, clarity, moment of clarity after working in investment banking for several years, serving the natural resource sector that I felt like I needed to go in a different direction with my life and, and certainly in, in what I was doing. Now, obviously, you're making a good living as an investment backer at this point, you know, making good money. And uh, how is that moment where, uh, what, what, what were the sequences of events until you were like, okay, you know what? It's time to, um, you know, give the notice here and, and go at it, you know, on my own. I, I mean, the biggest risk in life is not doing what you want to do. And I think... I think risk is a concept that a lot of folks understand either poorly or, or not quite in the right way in many instances where, you know, some people will take risk with, for example, with their money and investing and things and, and all of that kind of stuff. Other people are comfortable taking risk in their career. My view is I, I want to invest in myself in learning and I want to invest in something where I feel like I, I'm going to have both the the joy of building something that I care about and seeing um, seeing something come to life and seeing a business come to life from nothing. And I wanted that, that experience to solve a meaningful problem in the world. And so when I left banking, I remember thinking really clearly, I said, well, I could go and, you know, go into private equity, or you can go into some of these other more typical paths. And I was in, in Australia, so it's a slightly different market there, but similar, similar type paths. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go build something. And because if I don't take risk with my career now and I don't take risk in trying to do something different, my marginal appetite for risk may never be greater, you know? And so I, within a fairly short period of time, um, left not only my job, but left the country. So within about a month or so of that realization, I had resigned and I said, look, I'm going to move to the United States. Um, I had the fortune position, my, my mother's American. So I had a, a, an American passport, which is a tough thing for a lot of people that are wanting to be moving to the U S you know, navigating the complexities of visas and things like that is not, is not an easy thing to do. And, um, anyway, so I moved to the U S in, in around 2015 or so, just with a view that I wanted to build something special that could, could move the needle, um, yeah, in the world. So I didn't really know many people. I had a, um, I, my, my, had a, a, a little bit of family in the West Coast that I stayed with, but beyond that, I hardly knew anyone in, in the US. Um, the person who became my co-founder, he and I had worked briefly together in New York several years earlier. He was still living in New York at the time. I was in the Bay Area, and he ended up coming out shortly thereafter, and yeah, we just set off with this concept of can we help people build something? Can I help build something to help um, the investment community more broadly? And it was still pretty opaque at that stage. 
I think there's a false narrative that there's this, these sort of aha moments in building companies where people just completely go from zero to one and then stay on that mission and nothing ever changes. I think the, the reality is more, as I said, like pulling the thread of curiosity. So one of the people that I met by happen chance is a, uh, an individual who runs a, a think tank at Stanford University, which I'm now a member of the um, uh, board of, it's called the Stanford Long-Term Investing Initiative. Um, and he wrote a paper called Organic Finance, and this is in 2015. And with it, the metaphor was ultimately trying to create a parallel to what happens in food where the, the commoditization of food and all of the different ingredients that get blended into the things that you eat, that same metaphor actually applies in financial services where the increasing commoditization and structuring and structured products and all of these different things which serve an important purpose mean that you're further and further away from the actual underlying investment that you're making. And we felt that was a metaphor for something that we wanted to build. And so we set out an F that was really the genesis in some ways of ethic, um, where we set out with this view of, can we help people make more informed decisions around how they're investing? Can we help people understand the, the second and third order consequences? And what the area that we you know, primarily focus on today is in the sort of index passive investing ecosystem where in 2000, there was, I don't know, one or 2% of total assets under management in the US was invested this way. You know, that's over 50% now. And so what ends up happening in that world is you're investing in index funds, which have an important um, return, risk return characteristic in part of many portfolios, most portfolios. But it also means you're taking, in most instances, just a cap-weighted, large cap-weighted bias in terms of investing in the entire ecosystem. And what we thought was, well, there's a lot of second-order consequences around that. Can we help people make more informed choices? Can we help them build investment solutions based on the issues and causes important to them and important to the world in building something? So something very personalized and something uh, ultimately they felt was more sustainable. And so that organic finance metaphor where you're helping draw in parallels in the food sector and in agriculture into and investing, where you're thinking about everything from fees to sustainability practices to factor exposures to everything, you're helping create something that um, is much more transparent. And so that was, you know, as I said, the early beginnings of ethic, um, you know, going from there, it's really saying, okay, well, we need to, I often think about scaling companies as like graduating to different problems. <laughs> you know, like the first problem is, you know, what, what, what problem do you want to solve? Who do you want to solve it with? Can you put together sort of a, a minimum viable product, something that, that can prove out the hypothesis? Can you then you know, convince one customer or two customers that this is actually something that's going to you know, be, in our belief, you know, materially more advantageous than anything that's available? Can you then raise some money to be able to, you know, to, to scale that to a small team? Can you then build a team of teams, et cetera, et cetera? And so, you know, once we had a, a clear picture of the problem we wanted to solve and, and who we wanted to solve it with, it was about how can we build something um, to show that, to prove out that hypothesis, and then can we also raise some money to, to help that uh, accelerate a little bit further down the, down the path. So I guess hey, for the people that are listening to, to get it, what ended up being the business model of Ethic? How do you guys make money? So, yeah, we are a... Uh, 
I mean, the best way to put it is we, we manage capital on behalf of advisors and institutional investors. So our model is to build personalized investment portfolios that are centered on the issues and causes important to investors and to the world. And so our business model is centered on assets under management. So we act um, as a fiduciary on behalf of our clients where we're building them portfolios and then managing those portfolios. Um, we serve the advisory community and, and institutional community today, as I mentioned, primarily intermediaries model. So we are working on behalf of clients who are then working on behalf of clients. So kind of a B2B2C type motion. Uh, and we will essentially, we've built infrastructure that allows us to be uh, custodial agnostic. So you can work with any type of custodian you're working with. So some of the big major custodians here in the US. And then we'll build individual portfolios. So those portfolios consist of individual equities. Uh, so we're not investing, it's not investing in funds. You're actually building what's called separately managed accounts. Um, and we are really, I mean, a lot of what we try to help frame our problem statement is not just building really customized portfolios, really personalized portfolios, really sustainable portfolios, but also how do we help build the entire user experience and client experience that helps an advisor more deeply connect with their client or help a consultant more deeply connect with their, with their client. And that is, a, is quite a complex problem. Um, and so that's, you know, in, in a bit of a nutshell, how the business works. Um, and it has been the same way since the very early days of ethic. Hey, guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. And what, were the, uh, what was that journey to product market fit and to getting the first customers? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely didn't come out of the gate. As I said before, I'm just a believer in curiosity and and sort of meandering paths at times but we so the early days we said look let's the first thing let's do is let's help people understand what they're investing let's build tools and transparency tools to help people know that hey you know i'll give you an example like a client who cares about climate change let's say who's really focused on the climate crisis um, maybe investing in a index fund like an s&p 500 and be holding securities that or companies that may 
not aligned with those value set. But the first thing to realize that is you need to have that transparency into where you're investing. So the first one of the first things that we built was tools around transparency to help people see that, to understand where they're investing. So that was sort of the initial one. Then we said, can we help people then make better choices? And ultimately, what better choices, um, obviously, from our perspective, meant was, can we help people make a more informed choice to build something that's representative of the issues and causes that they care about in the way that they manage um, their capital? And so what we built is essentially an engine to personalize investments at scale. So you can sort of dial up or dial down sensitivity. Um, two underlying issues across the entire ecosystem on sustainability, on factor exposure, on tax management, on all types of different characteristics to help people then build something that's really unique to them. So I think this is an adage that most entrepreneurs will agree with. But you know, if you're competing in the market and you know we're competing against other well-funded, large asset managers, really some of the biggest in the world. You have to create something that you believe is 10x better than anything that's available. And that's what we did. And I think that's very much true in an industry where, uh, you know, I think the adage in, in technology, people talk about move fast and break things. That just does not work in investment management. You just, you just cannot do that. You have to build things that are really, you have to build quickly and they have to build in a place that are really unique, but you, you, you can't move fast and break things. And so that journey to product market fit was one where we felt like we had to create something and convince one client that it is a better version than, than the next client and the next client. And it was very much you know, the do things that don't scale. Go and understand exactly the pain points. Like The issue isn't just building something customized. The issue is actually connecting more deeply with their client. So how do we do that? And that is reframing the problem. And I think that that's where we've had a lot of success is building not just great products, investment products in, in, in our view, but also really building investment products that are representative um, of the things that clients care about and, and, and helping work through that with them. And so, yeah, some of our first customers and first clients who are great supporters, it was, yeah, it was tough. It was always tough to convince them. We spent a lot of time building technology, as I said, because you've got to compete with highly sophisticated investors across the ecosystem. And so we built something that would stand up to institutional scrutiny from the from the very beginning, uh, because that's what you have to do. You have to go through you know due diligence processes with every single client because you're working with sophisticated institutional investors and advisors. Uh, so it is probably a little different to perhaps some other folks in the fintech or, or technology ecosystem in that regard. Uh, but it, it was what served us and, and certainly what served um, uh, so, you know our clients. And what was that journey too of um, getting the right people here? What 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 kind of uh, things have you learned around, you know, really onboarding employees and also developing them so that they continue to be excited about the future that you're living into? Yeah, how long how long have you got, mate? Uh, it's a lot of a lot of journeys. You, you learn stuff. The, the easy ways when people tell you, the hard ways when people tell you you don't listen, then you do it, and then you listen, then you learn through that experience, I guess. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in building, developing people and helping. I mean, ultimately, building teams is a really hard thing. It's probably the most difficult thing that, that I think I embark upon because it's such an imprecise science. You can go and speak to great entrepreneurs and company builders across the ecosystem and you can get diametrically opposed advice. 
on what makes a great team or what makes a great leader at different stages. But I think for us, I take it to the first principles and at different stages of the company, it's looking for people that are curious, looking for people that are humble, looking for people that are um, mission-driven, um, looking for people that are coachable. You know, I think coachability is a skill that is hard because if everyone has something to improve on, I'm no exception to that. Everyone has something that they can get better at. And I think people who are embracing that mindset are the people that you want to surround yourself with. Um, there's that old you know, expression of, you know, you're the average of the five people you associate most most with. And I think that is definitely true because when you're building a company, you're spending all of your time doing that. I mean, it's, you know, there's no work-life balance when you, you're an entrepreneur. It's the opposite of work-life balance, especially in the early days. And so for me, recruiting some of our early people, many of whom are still with us, you know, seven, eight years later, um, it's been is always really challenging, but I think that the lessons I've learned is are, I think that there's a framing, and I work with um, some terrific mentors and friends um, who are entrepreneurs and building big companies. But this model of your task is not the task, but your task is the person. So reframing away from solving like a go-to-market problem or a product issue or whatever it might be to how do I help develop this person? How do I help put them in a position where they can learn quicker, where they can have more ownership, where they can really take the take the lead? And I just feel like there's so many experiences where um, the, some of the things that I'm most proud of is the, is the team that we've assembled and the people that have been with us on this journey and the people that will continue to be with us in this journey, both those today and, and future folks. Um, and finding really, you know, talent. And I think, What's also challenging where we're trying to promote a much, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion and being having a really inclusive culture means you have to look outside your networks um, for people that you don't associate with. Because I think one of the easiest things to fall into is you just hire who you know. Um, and while that can be a really helpful way to bring on people, it also just means that there are communities that you might not have associated with where there's exceptional talent that will bring something that's very diverse and different. And I'm a big believer in that as well. So we've had, I've had so many lessons at, at helping build people and, and recruit people and help develop them and help them take more ownership and take more um, skill set. And, and I think that, as I said, the most difficult thing that I do um, because it is such an imprecise um, art form, I would say. And talking about people here, uh, to double click, also you guys have raised uh, quite a bit of money. Uh, how much have you guys uh, raised to date? Uh, all in, we've raised in venture funding around 100 million. So uh, as we're thinking about 100 million here, what would you say is the biggest lesson that you've learned when it comes to raising money? They're very, there are very different lessons you learn at different stages of the company's development. So there are plenty of lessons in the fundraising itself, which is all around relentlessness and, and grit and all of those important attributes. But I think Working with investors is the, the biggest thing is you have to empathize with what they care about. So at a, a seed stage or a pre-seed investor is markedly different from a growth stage investor. So unless you have a clear picture of what the different investors' motivations and what their cares are, it's going to be very hard to raise capital. And that is something that I think we've done quite well, where we really understand and we've done a good job at building a diverse cap table with different parts of investors, fintech investors, um, some of the big, large financial services investors, impact investors, 
traditional venture investors. Um, and each of them have different things that they care about. And so for me, that, that's really important because once you understand what someone cares about, um, you can then help understand how to translate the things that you're doing in service of those things. And it's, it's easy to um, put investors into categories of like, you know, there are these kind of investors and those kind of investors. And they, but ultimately, it's the people at those funds or the people at those, those um, venture investors. And you got to look with it. And because of that, that, that sort of lens, one of the things that we've really tried to do is look very long term with partners. You know, if you bring up an investor on the cap table, they're going to be with you for, for the most part for the entirety of the ride. So you've got to be really clear that, that's the, that those are the organizations, those are the people that you want to partner with. Obviously, Vision, when, you, when you're thinking about partnership, is a big one. So imagine if, if you were to go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision of ethic is fully realized. What does that world look like? For us, we believe in a world where sustainable investing is the norm where people consider sustainability factors in the way that they're investing um, with a view that it's just a facilitating a more inclusive and resilient form of capitalism. So where people don't consider traditional investing and sustainable investing as two separate things is actually it's all just one thing. It's just a more informed approach to invest. And that's what we're trying to help build an ethic uh, is how we can help under people understand and investors understand that Investing sustainability is ultimately a really strong way, in our belief, of course, a strong way to invest. And that these issues, you know, look at things like the climate crisis or some of these other major issues, you know, not considering them is a massive risk um, in the way that one allocates capital. And so that is, that is the direction that we're facing. That is really our North Star. So we're talking about the future here, but I want to talk about the past, but doing so with a lens of reflection. Imagine I was to put you into a time machine and I bring you back in time, perhaps to 2015, that moment where you were touching, you know, U.S. soil. And let's say you had the opportunity of, you know, having a sit down with that younger self, with that younger dog that uh, is now in, in New York City. And uh, you're able to give that younger self one piece of advice for launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? The biggest thing, the biggest piece of advice I would give would be around humility. Like continue to stay humble, continue to stay grounded, continue to focus on what really matters. It's easy to get distracted when you build companies. And I think humility and focus are two of the most important ingredients. And, uh, you know, I was fortunate to have folks that, and partners and co-founders and friends that really helped me do that. But I think that is the most important thing from, from my perspective is to stay focused and to stay humble. Now, for the people that are listening, that are uh, you know, really inspired, that would love to reach out and, and learn more about you and, and Ethic or connect with you, what is the best way for them to do so? Uh, ethic.com, that's definitely the place to go. Um, you know, we do, we put a lot of content out we do a lot of um, uh, work in the, in the fintech community and the impact investing community. But yeah, I think .com is home base. So feel free to check us out there. Amazing. Well, hey, Doc, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Real pleasure. Thank you much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value 
either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.